0: welcome to the social lights podcast with kate vandervoort where i interview change makers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media brought to you by social mediology Welcome everybody to today's episode. I am here with Bryony Shadeg, who is the co-founder and director of HCI Insights, which is better known as Frank App. Bryony is also a new mother and we've already had some great conversations offline about children and motherhood and what all of that brings and means. But I'm really excited to be here today speaking with you, Bryony.
1: Thank you for having me, Kate. I'm so excited to, to be here today and, and talk about Frank with you and other aspects of life
0: wonderful so before we get into frank app and what it actually is and how it came about um, maybe you can share with us what is it that lights you up what gets you out of bed in the morning other than a new baby
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah a new baby is definitely a big factor in getting you out of bed in the morning because whether or not you want to they make sure that you definitely do
0: but unfortunately, it's not always just the morning. It's the three times before the morning that is yeah, the challenge.
1: Absolutely. They let you have a couple of practice runs in the early hours of the morning before you actually get up in the morning. Um, no look, what drives me to get out and out of bed in the morning is, um, and this is going to probably sound a little corny, but at the end of the day, is it's to make a positive impact on the world, is to try and do what I can as a human being so that when I do leave this earth one day, I've left it a better place than what I've come into it. Um, That's what has pushed me into policing. Um, It was definitely a calling. Policing is definitely not a career I would necessarily recommend to people. Um, If I had my time over again, I probably would still do it because I think when you have that desire that is it's something you can't put your finger on and the, the best way to describe it is a calling and I nice, I hate using corny terminology but um, it's undeniable. You, you try and go, no, nah, I'm not going to do it because I know the risks of going into something like that and you try and push it out and you push it out and you push it out but it's, you know, I think sometimes it's something so ingrained in your personality it comes a point where you can't anymore and you have to do it and, um, you know, that would be what drives me to get out of bed is, is to make that change and to, to really provide that service to the community.
0: I think it's one of the I don't think that's corny at all and I think that it's one of the things that really differentiates change makers and innovators is And I love the way you described that it's, it is, it's like, you can't not do it. It's there and you can try every which way to not do it. I want to work nine to five. I want a normal, (laughs) but if it's there and it, and it kind of eats away at you, then it's only really a matter of time until you do it. So I look forward to hearing about how you've gotten to where you are now. So tell me a little bit about your journey prior to launching Frank app. What brought you up to that point?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned beforehand, um, my background is policing and um, back in 2016 I was doing some more advanced policing studies to advance my career and I was doing crime reduction and you had to come up with a unique um, crime reduction program or product um, as part of the assignment and I'd already done criminology and victimology and already had a pretty good understanding around crime and development and social learning theories and sorry, my baby's crying in the background. <laughs> it's life. <laughs> and so um, I thought if, the, if you want to be serious about preventing crime, you actually need to get people to make better choices in life because people who are highly functioning and um, happy and are looking after themselves and are healthy, they don't make poor decisions that lead them to a life of crime for the most part. There's, I mean, there's always exceptions, but... Um, you know, really, and, and it comes from an early age. And, I, you know, the World Health Organization say one in five people will experience mental challenges in their lifetime. I don't see the statistic. I don't see the one in five. I actually see the faces. You know, when they talk about suicide being the leading cause of death for people under the age of, I think, 25 in, in Australia, I think they've actually increased that now to 34. Um, I see those faces because I'm the one who is going to those deaths. And doing the identifications with the next of kin and doing the investigation to make sure that there was nothing more untoward and that it was suicide and it is the circumstances that are presented. So it's one thing to read the numbers on paper. It's another thing to live those experiences with people when they're going through those worst days of their life. And as a police officer, it's really frustrating because you can't intervene until something's happened that's the way the law works unfortunately Uh, my heart goes out to people who can see the writing on the walls in their life um, particularly around domestic violence but it's so hard because we're bound by legislation and it's inappropriate to get involved before something happens in some circumstances not all um and it's probably a debate for another day, but I I myself was extremely frustrated by it because there's other services that are in place before police get involved that I could see were failing people. And it's not a reflection of the people who work in those services. I think the mental health system in general is quite broken and really needs revisiting and rebuilding from the ground up. Um, But I could also see a solution, which is what then drove me to build Frank. So, um, I could see, you know, Fitbits work really, like fitness trackers work really well to help people with their physical fitness. So it was like, well, can we maybe take some of those concepts and some of the concepts behind targeted advertising and using machine learning, and maybe not apply it to have well-being, like apply it to improving people's well-being? I, and I just felt that that was where the solution lay was was in that giving empowering people to have something tangible in front of them that can lay out in a map basically of of how they're feeling especially over a longitudinal time that they can then use to act on and and give them those clear pathways to resources so that they can start making those decisions for themselves and and empower them to make those good choices and and better outcomes for themselves in the long run so tell us
0: and I can absolutely see why you have this burning desire to do what you're doing because I think the pathway there was a no-brainer in terms of giving you all of those insights and aspects that, um, and clearly as an innovator and a change maker, you you have a way of seeing the world that can see those solutions, which is amazing. So tell us a bit about the app. So imagine no one's ever heard of it before. Explain Frank App to us.
1: Yeah, So Frank App um, stemmed from Sophie App, which is actually on pause at the moment. Sophie was um, more developed towards younger people. And then we developed a prototype. We were testing it on ourselves. My PTSD was really quite bad at the time, but I was very good at managing it. And I thought I was pretty good at picking up when I was going to have an episode. And Frank App, which I'll go into how it works in a minute, picked up a change in my language use at an earlier interval. So then I could apply my coping mechanisms that I knew worked for me at an earlier interval and after a while, I could start avoiding having an episode altogether. So that's when we decided to pivot towards Frank and, and make that our leading product because um, working with adults is a little bit less risky than working with children straight off the bat. And um, if it worked for me, it was gonna work for somebody else as well. I thought it would actually work for a lot of people. So the way Frank works is we're essentially replacing the keyboard on someone's device. And Frank harvests their natural language use and determines their mood and sentiment from that and provides the user with some feedback, um, uh, visual feedback. And then um, we use a a nudging matrix to help help nudge people towards constructive behaviours, relationships, or just highlight basically their negative ones so they can make some more positive choices, resources that might be appropriate to help them out in those situations. So in... In essence, it's not just a tool for when things are going wrong. It's a really good tool for when things are going right and you can start um, gaining some real competitive advantage for yourself as an individual. Like if you know you're happiest on a Tuesday or you're most productive on a Wednesday, you can start scheduling important things in your life, like meetings or um, just something that means a lot to you on those days. And then the days that you know that are maybe more negative for you, you can keep a bit quieter so that you're not, setting yourself up for failure necessarily so you know even even when people are great and on top of the world they still have their bad days so having some of those insights is is just a really useful tool in helping to get the most out of your life um
0: can i just ask so as a police (laughs)
1: officer how
0: do you you go i want to do an app this makes sense how on earth do you go about doing that
1: (laughs) yeah really good question because my um way of solving a problem with computer before I started on this was turning it off and turning it back on again. I could never navigate my way around Word and and, and simple software um, and Photoshop, but that was really the extent of it. Um, and, and when it came to machine learning, I kind of knew that Facebook used it and had a bit of an idea, but really I'll, tech is just not my background. Um, so I was talking to one of the ladies I work with and her husband was working at Linda's New Venture Institute at the time, Ben Flink, and he's one of our co-founders. Ben's got a lot of experience in innovation. He also has been involved in the military over the years as well, and he has a lot to do with veterans affair type organisations. And I was talking to him about it. He thought it was a terrific idea as well and working at Flinders New Venture Institute he knew Danny and Joey who are the directors of Svelte Studios which is a South Australian owned digital agency so Ben knew how to help me take my idea and grow it into the business and partner with the digital agency that had the technical background to execute what and the know-how to put it all together to put this product forwards so um, that's probably a really quick overview of how we've all come together and formed what's now HCI Insights and Build Frank App.
0: Yeah, wow. I'm always interested in the journey as to how you got there, because often it's um, <laughs> way outside our scope of what we know and who we are when
1: people are innovating. So it's... Yeah, um, and it was really important for us to try and stay Australian-based as well. I mean, Ben and I, when we got together and first spoke about putting the idea together, um, you know, we did float like the idea of looking at going offshore for the tech build because obviously it would have been um, financially beneficial for us. But when you're talking language use, and culture comes into it a bit when you're talking language use as well. Um, and a product like this really does rest quite heavily on our integrity as a company, Um and the trust with the user as well so it for us it was a better business decision and we are quite south australian proud as well and i myself like buying australian where i can um it was really important to try and keep it local um especially starting out so that's why we decided to partner with spelt studios um, and they really wanted to partner with us as well and that has really driven our journey forward so we can proudly say that we're still all Australian owned and operated, and we operate out of Lot 14 in South Australia, which is the new innovation hub here.
0: Oh, wonderful. And so in terms of you just touched on it then, but how are users' data and privacy information, how is
1: that privacy protected? So even we don't have access to what the users put through their keyboard. We've we've built it. We've used a concept called privacy by design, which is a, a term in the, the tech industry that basically addresses the social responsibility of protecting your users and, and really protecting all the data. So we've basically made it that machine learning algorithms read and dump, nothing stored. We don't keep anything. The only thing that comes out of it is the statistical data, which is a bit of a by-product. So we need that statistical data, obviously, to supply um, the user with the feedback around their emotion and sentiment. But when we have it it's anonymized for us so that data collated together is really powerful in terms of providing data to researchers around mental health and well-being and it's also a really powerful tool for organizations from a hr perspective in helping them to help the well-being of the employees within their organization or the members within their organization because Um, it's it's well documented that an employer can play a huge role in improving the wellbeing of their employees or membership base. Um, You know, I'm definitely a big believer in that it doesn't take one person to raise a child. It takes a community or a whole village And I think as we get older, you know, even though I'm an adult, you know, you're still someone's child. You're still growing. You're still learning. You're still developing. And the community definitely influences all of that on you. As a police officer, I see it firsthand. I still, see 60, 70, 80-year-olds that are still influenced by their community. So... um, that real sense community aspect to it is, is important for me. And, and I think that statistical data is the best way to get the best out of the community or give the best back to the community as well. Because I feel like um, part of Frank's offering is that community give back to help empower organisations to have a more positive environment for everybody to be in. If individuals are happy and they're happy when they go to work and their organisations are happy, I feel that that will then be further spread.
0: And so what's the um, model that sits behind it? How do you, you obviously can't shell this all out of your own pocket, out of the generosity of your heart,
1: um, (laughs) although that's where your idea has come from. So how do you make that work financially? Uh, So we did an initial seed round to get some investment behind us and we're actually doing a capital raise at the moment. So if there's any investors out there who are having their interest tweaked at the moment, our Capital Round runs till June 30, so please get in contact via the show and um, I can send you out some more information. But because we're not selling people's data and because we're not selling people's personal information and because we're not putting in targeted advertising, which is a way a lot of um, other free services and applications make their money, because um, integrity is key with this um, and there's no point in doing this if we're going to cause harm to someone. So unfortunately, people will have to pay for it. It will be a yearly subscription. Um, having said that, when you look at what people spend on their physical health and medical health, we're really still quite cheap. So for an individual, it's $144 a year. Um, I know personally, I spend way more that on that on my physical health <laughs> with gym memberships, especially uh, coming out of pregnancy. And um, it makes sense because there's such a strong correlation between physical health and mental health. Why would I only half service one when I want the other one to succeed? If, if you really want to be healthy, you've got to address both. Um, so individuals be able to um, go to the app stores when we release and um, purchase Frank via the app stores. For organisations, um, they can take up a bulk licensing subscription and offer it to their membership place, membership base or their employees. Um, Obviously how that then looks, that relationship between that organization and the people that they're supplying to can vary. So, um, you know, if they're using it for a customer base or a membership base, it might be included in membership fees. If it's for employees, it might be written off as a HR cost. Um, So there's, how that looks within the organisation is a little bit different, but the, the beauty of doing it through an organisation is the overheads for us become really stagnant so we can actually get it down to a cheaper level at an individual level. So there's incentive there for the individuals to do it through an organisation as well. Yeah! Wow. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: And um, you know, we were talking briefly offline beforehand, and I think one of the things that I immediately saw was the ability to measure outcomes am- uh, amongst groups of people. So, if you're, um, and I think use the example of COVID, uh, you know, a lot of workplaces I think are only just starting to see the mental health impacts of working from home and the major disruption that this has caused. So to give an organisation the ability to track that even anonymously, but to know what's happening with their employees or their members is amazing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, work from home is great. I can I can say firsthand, um, you know, while I was on maternity leave and, and working on Frank in the background, working from home was a lot easier rather than trying get Wilbur and my son together take him to a daycare or take him to a babysitter or take him into town with me, the logistics as a, as a mother that you go through of trying, like, it takes ages just to get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Every parent knows that getting yeah. children
0: out of the house requires a degree. <laughs>
1: and it's not just getting them out of the house, it's getting them out of the house to be able to function for the rest of the day as well. So it's food, it's clothes, it's nappies, it's toys, it's everything else. Um if you're working from home you don't have to worry about that so if you work a bit extra in the day you're probably not that fast so i think one of the biggest things um working from home is that people are actually working more and they're not getting um rem- remunerated for it and they're actually starting to burn out so whereas the the common belief was that people work less from home that they that they're not as productive and a lot of research is coming out now to debunk that theory um, so if you've got something like Frank and you've suddenly had a big change in your workforce where you've got a whole heap of people working from home, you can actually start to measure that impact. Is social isolation becoming an issue because they no longer got that interaction? Do you need to maybe provide more training about using Zoom or or putting in place a policy of how to have that human contact still there with your employees who are working from home and that they're not just being totally isolated I think domestic violence um, statistics have increased during COVID because people aren't going to the workplace. They are now stuck at home and there's that dark unknown figure at the moment where everybody suspects that it's probably risen and that some people are at greater risk now because of it. Um, You know, an organisation is just as responsible for what can happen in in the home environment. We're seeing a lot of um, push in that direction at the moment. So it makes sense to empower organisations to assist their employees in that workplace and make sure that they are working in a safe environment. Because um, I think we will see work cover legislation change around work from home arrangements, because as an employer, you have got to provide a safe workplace. And if you've got domestic violence issues going on at work from home, are you providing a safe workplace and what's an organisation's liability in that landscape? So, and this is just one, one example that I'm using. So, For an organisation, how do you measure that? How do you you manage that liability when you've got nothing to measure it by, when you are sitting in the dark a little bit? But if you have a better idea of your workforce as a whole and how they might be coping um, with challenges like that, then they may be more comfortable with individuals starting to come to you and say, look, I've got these issues coming on, what can we do? Um, And I think that will start about some really important narratives around some of these issues that we have going on in society that affect everybody at a deeper level.
0: And I think one of the things, um, you know, that you're obviously really passionate about is reducing the stigma of mental health. And one of the things that's great about this is that it's not just for people who identify as having a mental health challenge or issue in their life. Um, So I did a trial of the app so that I could understand how that works. And it's great because it's not about do you have a problem and if you do, you know, it's not that kind of official mental health model. It's just very much about how are you feeling today and where are you, you know, where are you at with what's going on in your life, which is applicable to everybody. And to actually utilise some of this technology and machine learning for good where instead of, you know, taking data and using it to manipulate people or to influence their decisions or their behavior, you're doing that in a way that is very self-empowering. And the data comes from me, isn't um, used back at me in any other way other than to help me inform making good decisions and choices about my lifestyle.
1: Exactly. And um, I mean, we're always going to have our sceptics out there that are going to be concerned about what we're doing with people's data and how we're using it. Um, and that's, the, the skeptic aside, it's actually really important for me that people know that I'm well-intended and my level of integrity as well. So we actually engaged an independent researcher to oversee our pilot. Uh, our first pilot that you participated in, Kate, um, was just to test that our mood detector is working the way that we want it to. So um, it's not the full completed app and it was clunky. We knew that going into it, but it, we needed to make sure that the mood detector component was working well because it's a very critical piece of the, the whole app. And um, so we engaged Dr. Miranda Van Hoof from the Military and Emergency Services Health Australia, which is formerly known as the Road Home, and it's part of the Hospital Research Foundation to oversee the pilot. So they're independent from us. They're not receiving any money from us. Um, they they love the project and wanted to help us and see us. Um, they, they could see the good intention behind it and really wanted to help us prove our integrity. Uh, I think it's really important that people know that, I think it's 93 to 97% of wellbeing apps available on the market have got no clinical testing behind them to prove that they actually help people. Um, that's where we really want to have a point of difference uh, I'm, you know, being a, an experience in policing, I'm evidence-based driven, I'm research driven. Um, I want to have that integrity and credibility there so that when people do come with those questions, we can say, here's the proof, here's the evidence. I think it's really important um, because you're dealing with people's mental health. I, I think it's incredibly important. <laughs> And so what's your vision for Frank? Where do
0: you see it in 10 years' time, just to put a random figure on it?
1: Oh, 10 years' time. Well, 10 years' time I see us not only having Frank but having Sophie, which I mentioned beforehand, up and running. And um, I've I've toyed with the idea of Natalie as well, which is more around uh, postnatal depression and early parenthood challenges. So that's something that my team don't even like me talking about because at the moment True we're... True innovator,
0: always thinking about the yeah. next one. Just
1: <laughs> trying to get Frank to market. They're like, stop, stop. Um, and, and I'd love to see us being able to find a way to make it applicable for elderly communities as well. Um, and I'm just sort of struggling to work out how that's going to work until we get a generation through that are used to having a personal device on them. Um, But I see, Frank, not only having penetrated the Australian market, but the global market in terms of English-speaking languages um, or countries that are English-speaking. And I would like to see us maybe in 10 years' time starting to move into non-English-speaking countries as well. Um, Obviously, trying to um, take on a new language is going to be a new challenge for us. And, I mean, there's going to be challenges for us when in terms of just the different cultures between different countries i mean culture in australia is very different to the us or new zealand or um the uk south africa which has got a huge english-speaking population it, you know the cultures are just also different um my father's side of the family are from switzerland so i'm, I'm a Swiss citizen as well and you know you're talking a country there that has four different national languages and they all tend to speak English as well so culture is going to be a very very interesting challenge for us I'm actually pretty excited for it Um, I
0: imagine there's some language patterns too and some ways some really big cultural differences in how we describe emotion and feeling and
1: yeah, and that's, that's sort of been the challenge from day one is just the individual to the individual is so significantly different. So it was trying to build something that would be useful for everybody um, but still able to be specific enough for the individual and to give them the insight. So um, a lot of our, uh, and I can't go too much into it because obviously it's part of our IP, um, but that's been an exciting part of the challenge is overcoming, overcoming those aspects
0: and i have to ask how do you come up with the names for the apps
1: uh so sophie we really finding names for anything is hard so i love your name socialize i just think that was a terrific name um so sophie was uh, probably the tricky one because that was the one we we're sort of going with first and um we wanted a name because we're dealing with kids we wanted a softer sounding name a name that kind of translated over a few different languages and someone said sophie um it was started off as a I think a bit of a joke because, um, one of the guys, it was his partner's name at the time. And, um, all of us had really positive experiences with someone named Sophie and it is like a nice soft name and it does go across many languages. So that's sort of how that one came about. There's no real special story about that one. Um, Frank was a little bit probably more on point because it was about having a frank conversation with yourself and stripping away the BS that you tell yourself as well. Um, especially when your judgment around yourself is compromised because you're having some challenges with your mental health. Um, And then Natalie, neonatal kind of connotations to it. So, yeah, we try and find a name that kind of fits.
0: Yeah, interesting. When we do work with... um clients and in our membership on customer avatars we often get them to look at their mailing list or their database and find the name that's most common and (laughs) we've got all sorts of other strategies for helping people find that name of the the person that they're speaking to because um yeah I think you've clearly thought that out really well because people do have connotations around names so it's interesting that you've chosen to call the names uh, like to give them a persona or a, a human name
1: yeah, I think it's important, you know, you're dealing with humans.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, and I, I, I loved it when we first had the concept of let's call it a name. Mm. Uh, to me that sort of it felt so right because, you know, when you're having these discussions with yourself about your deepest, darkest thoughts and your deepest, darkest emotions and you're you're being really real and really true with yourself, to have something that wasn't personalised, seemed really cold
0: well i think we've got so much around us that's so clinical on a day-to-day basis so
1: it it just sort of seems like if we didn't have it personalized it would be an additional challenge um so having it personalized kind of makes it a softer space and a more open space to to have those conversations with yourself
0: so lots of the people who listen to our podcast are particularly interested in technology and social media and building community and how people connect around things that are important to them. And it might be a bit early in your in your launch, but how does social media and and community play a role in what you're working on?
1: Um, so obviously there's so many organized. Oh, there's a couple of ways we can talk about this, but probably the... The most obvious way is there are so many organisations that do so much great work in mental health and wellbeing, and we didn't want to reinvent the wheel or be a competitor with them because they're great at what they do. Why? Why when we can be collaborative and help people access those resources? So um, users will not only get the feedback about themselves, but they can get nudged towards what resources would be could be most effective for them, um, or seem to be the most appropriate for them, and then. Um, help them to find those, navigate those pathways to those resources. Um, two of the biggest hurdles for people seeking assistance with mental health is um, the stigma around mental health and also unclear pathways to resources um, is, is the two biggest preventers for people. So we're looking to connect those users with their community um, essentially and, and help them to, to walk through that door and reach out to those communities. The other way I see us having, like helping the community or being in the community, is um, working with the researchers, giving them the data to to put forward the research, find out what the problems are in our society, how to fix them, um, or what solutions there might be, and then let the innovators take those findings and build what needs to be built out of it. so that's another way that we plug into the community is, is fueling that research and fueling that innovation and fueling policy change to better assist people too. Um, you know, I know that we've got a policy for everything having worked in government, and some of those policies don't need to be there, and some of those policies aren't right, and some of them are great. But it's really hard to know which ones sometimes. So I think um, we're in a unique position with this byproduct that we have of this. The statistical data is we can help policymakers makers right make right decisions correct decisions that are going to help the community um and not just here in australia but hopefully globally as well so that's where i see us really plugging into the community and bringing the community together as a whole and obviously with with targeting organizations to take up frank that's plugging the employees and the organizations back within their own community so if you've got five dominant organizations in a local area that are all doing the right thing by their employees and making sure their employees well-being is the best it can be the byproduct of that is you're going to have a a happier community that is probably going to have higher employment higher academic achievement less medical issues less physical health issues less dietary issues less substance abuse issues less domestic violence issues All these other negative things start to drop away because happy people don't make bad choices. We all make mistakes, but they don't make bad choices. Um, So, yeah, everything about it is about building these really resilient communities. And I just
0: love that you are not wanting to reinvent the wheel because it's one of my, having worked in the not-for-profit sector myself for so many years, just seeing, and it all comes from such great intent, but just seeing the duplication of services and offerings and even online communities and, you know, I think people being overwhelmed by choice is a major contributor to mental health challenges and so simplifying those pathways for people and giving people less choice, but you know, the the pathways that make that really easy, I think that's really powerful.
1: We um I got asked a really good question um earlier this month at Australian Healthcare Week. We were a finalist to present over there at PitchFest, which we we're really excited about. Um, was so are you replacing the clinicians in all of this? And we said, no, because again, the, the clinicians play a really important role. We we're not looking to replace them. We're not looking, because they are asking more around at risk. If you identify someone at risk, how are you gonna deal with it? It's like, well, Fitbit isn't responsible for the person who has the heart attack because they didn't take their 10,000 steps in the day. It's the same thing. It's a tool to empower people. It's the empowering people bit is so important to healing. I, when you, when you lose, when you have a mental health challenge, you lose that control. You lose, you feel like you've lost all control over your life and it's so important to be re-empowered by that. And clinicians play a really important role in all of that. It's about helping people get to their clinician, find the right clinician because one clinician who's right for me isn't going to be right for someone else. And it's such a personal preference thing. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the bottom line is, we don't want to replace services that are already doing great work. It's It would just be such a huge mistake. So as we
0: start to finish up, Bryony, um, I always like to ask, what's one thing you'd like people to do differently? What's something really tangible that people can do differently in this space?
1: Be kind to each other. think uh, So much of what I see in policing is just people not being kind to each other. Cut everybody some slack, including yourself, because, um, and and I'm a big one for it, I I definitely put way too high expectations on myself and it can make me moody and grumpy and, you know, and quite often your partner tends to be the one (laughs) who's inadvertently in the firing line because you're grumpy and you're tired and, um, you know, just, Everybody has their moments where they're not kind and it's is normal. But it's just maybe having um, the mindfulness to go, crap, I could have been kinder. Let's make sure the next thing I say to that person is kinder because we're all just getting through this by the skin of our teeth, like we were saying earlier. Um, you never know what's going on in someone else's life. There's just, everybody's got their own challenges, their own demons. We're all from different walks of life. What affects me deeply isn't maybe not something that affects somebody else as deeply because it's all within the context of your own experiences. But it does not mean that what someone's going through is any less or any more. It's just different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Someone I know really well, often says it's not a competition to see who's suffering the most, you know, we're all just in it doing the best that we can. And, and I think um, compassion and kindness is seriously underrated. So.
1: Yeah. And like yeah. I said, we all make mistakes. I know there have been times where I've not behaved in a way that I've been proud of myself and we all do it, but it's just um, having the ability to go uh, and apologizing or making sure that the next time you do do something nice or, You know, I've been on the receiving end of someone who's bought my coffee for me not knowing who they were buying for because they've left their change at the counter and gone, shout the next person. Um, You know, I've worked in hospitality where people tip and, it's you know, it does make a difference. It it makes a huge difference and it's such little effort on your own behalf sometimes to do that. Um, So I think that's, yeah, the big thing that I would like people to take away from this is just to be a little bit kinder because a little bit of kindness goes a long way.
0: And even just checking in on people, you know, every now and then, I know that some of the greatest moments in my life have been where I've, as you say, experienced that completely unexpected, unanticipated generosity or kindness. And sometimes they're really small things that just make all of the difference.
1: Yeah. And oh, look, volunteering, I mean, volunteering can be really time consuming, but I do think if, um, if anyone does have the capacity or the bandwidth to do volunteering, i strongly recommend it because you just get so much back out of it. And even if you don't like people, you can still go volunteer with animals.
0: <laughs> well, and it's proven that volunteering certainly helps increase mental um, resilience and well-being. So.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so how can people find out more about Frank or how can they get in touch?
1: Uh, so we are on Facebook. So if you go to Frank Mental Wellbeing app, we're on there. Uh, we also have a website, www.frankapp.ai, and you can sign up to our newsletter. Our pilot is still running at the moment. That's going to finish up real soon. Um, it's only open to Android Australian users at the moment. Um, oh, for once, something open only to Android users. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had to test the mood detector. We are going to go to market with both Android and iOS. I'm an Apple user, so... Um, and. Uh, We have had a lot of people comment about not being able to get onto the pilot because it's flagged them as being ineligible because of um, mental health issues. I just want to tell people that because this is new technology and because we are socially responsible, we want to make sure that people who have maybe some unrealistic expectations of what this is going to do when it hasn't been tested aren't included because it's not the right thing to do. Um, We... It's not that your opinions aren't valid, it's not because your input's not valid, it's because we are trying to be really responsible with people and not foreseeably put someone who's already at risk an even greater place of risk, um, because I don't want to be responsible for that. Um, It will be available to everybody once it hits the market, but it was really important to us that we start this piloting process in a really responsible fashion and that we work up to those people. Obviously, the people who have got massive mental health challenges are the people that we really want to help and we're dying to help you. But it's just so wrong to do it before it's ready.
0: I love your ethics and your integrity. And I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you today, Bryony. So we will put all of those links in the show notes so that people can find you easily. And I would love to check in in a year or so and and see how far along frank has come so thank you so much for being here today
1: thank you so much for having me Kay. i i'd love to be back
0: thank you for joining us on the social lights podcast produced by social mediology you can connect with us on facebook at social lights podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights Please subscribe in your favorite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.